Hey everyone, this is Dave Broadbeck, um, coming to you just before the start of the winter 2017 term. Uh, the lecture you've downloaded is from, uh, or you're streaming, you could be streaming it, it could be streaming, maybe not downloading, anyway, user technicalities and don't matter that much, is from uh, Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It's, of course, these to be called Design and Analysis 1, that uh, we changed the name. Um, so this is the lecture. There's also uh, our YouTube video. So you want to check those out. So you just have to search on YouTube for my name, um, and you'll see a playlist of Psych 3256 for this uh, coming year. Uh, thanks a lot for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, the chance of anybody actually enjoying a statistics le lecture, I just think is pretty small. Thanks. So remember last time we were talking about the uh, mean absolute deviation of that, which is who hit the eraser? So remember mean absolute deviation is this, the sum of the absolute value of x minus x bar all over n. And that looks really intuitively pleasing, but it isn't. Well, it's intuitively pleasing, but it's not useful for what we're called parametric statistics. We're trying to estimate parameters. And I'm not going to go into the theoretical reason why this isn't useful, it just simply isn't. Okay. You'll see as the course goes by why that's the case. And it's not useful. So there's, as I say here, there has to be a better way to do this. And obviously there is, um, or uh, class would end right now. <laughs> right? We just stop. We go, well, that's it. We're screwed. So how else can we get rid of those uh, nasty negatives? The nasty negatives. I think I'm recording through the wrong place. Just a second. This is compelling audio. Let's stop for a second. I just want to check, because I bring this stupid microphone if it's not working. I don't want to use it. Audio. Oh, it is working. Well, that's just great. Now I look like an idiot. <laughs> Let's see where I'm at. Back to there. This just in YouTube viewers. I was using this mic. Um. So. How do we get rid of the negatives? We can square the deviations. These deviations, x minus x bar. The other, the other way to get rid of negatives with, with values is you square right? So, you know, not, negative 9 squared is 81. It's not negative 81, it's 81. You know, multiply a negative times a negative to get a bottom. Cool, so let's square them. Let us square the numbers. And on that day, it was said, let us square the numbers. So that's what I did here. Okay. Negative 12 squared, 144. Negative 8 squared, 64. Negative 4 squared, 16. Negative, or positive 7 squared, 49. 17 squared, 289. Add them all up. Divide by 5, because n was 5. We get 112.4. Well, that's a number. So that's a number, that's good. We got something. So we're getting closer to where we want to be. Questions so far? Alright. That seems big though, doesn't it? Remember that mean absolute deviation, we got like 12 or something for this? It should be similar to that, and that's way bigger. It's like an order of magnitude bigger. Um, it's squared units, not the original units. It'd be like saying, It'd be like measuring height in, 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 in square centimeters. It doesn't make any sense. So let's, well, let's see. What's the opposite of squaring something? It's the square root. So we take the square root of 112.4. So you hit the square root button on your calculator, and that's easy to use. It's just a button. And you get 10.6. 
and you should, every step of the way using a calculator, you should be double checking just in your mind, does this arithmetic make sense? You really should, because you might have just hit the wrong button or put a uh, number in between these zeros like I was talking about the other day. So just remember that, that when you hit this number, You get this number, 10.6, you say it was 12, was it 12 point? No, 10, was the number again? 112 point something. Well, 112, the number has to be somewhere between 10 and 11. Because 10 squared is 100, and 11 squared is 121. Yeah. So, if that's the case, um, it's got to be somewhere between those. Just keep that in mind. I know it's not easy when it gets really big. Right? What's that horrible, horrible? That sound, if you took my memory class, you're in that class, it follows me. There's a horrible, high pitched whine that is not coming from my gear. It's coming from somewhere else. Is it coming from there? I don't think so. But now, now I can't resist getting on a chair. It is. Piece of crap. Okay, so I'm going to turn something off. Why? Who is what with the volume and the thing and the stuff? What is going on? Okay. Oh. You know what I did? I turned down the volume. You know what the thing is? People use stuff and don't leave it in a known state. Those people are, are bad. They're worse than like Al Qaeda. Okay. So, no, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. That was a horrible thing to say. Okay. So 10.6, that's a reasonable number. There is a problem, and I don't know if you guys know this, but there is an issue here. The formula I've shown you has n at the bottom. As the uh, denominator. Self about numerator denominator. And I know that just makes sense that it should be this, the number of numbers. I know it makes sense that it should be. However, who said this was supposed to make any sense? Well, actually, it, uh, hopefully I can convince you uh, what the deal is here. It's in fact supposed to be n minus 1. It's supposed to be n minus 1. So, we want something that's going to be an unbiased estimator of a parameter. That parameter, in this case, is called uh, variance or standard deviation. The same quantity in the population, a parameter. If we use n, we get what's called a biased estimate. It's a little bit too small, but we know by how much. The cool thing is, we actually know by how much. Now, let's see, the screen's at a, everything's at a whack. I don't know. Um, the population parameters, variance and standard deviation, have big N, or the total population on the bottom. That's their sorry, denominator. The sample statistics used to estimate those parameters have n minus 1. So population parameter, the two p's go together, sample statistic, the two s's go together. A statistic describes a number that you calculate that describes a sample. Okay? A parameter is a number that describes a population that you actually typically can't calculate because you don't have all the data. You can't you usually have the whole population. You threw out the code, but usually you can't. Practically, you can't. It is typically an unknown number. That's why we try to estimate it. Population parameter sample statistics. Parameters describe populations. Statistics describe samples. Population is all the cases of interest. It's a very simple, straightforward definition. All the cases of interest. In statistics, you would say in other courses, the number of people in a country, but that doesn't really describe a different thing. And a sample is a subset of the population. A lot of people seem to get really caught up in the idea that 
Well, let me back up. There is a population of, let's pick a population of people. That's almost, that's, that's a Peter, Peter Piper picked up population of people. Uh, <laughs> so what's a population? Think, think of one, just anything. Think of one. Somebody, okay, fine, I'll do it. All I'll go to university students. Good. Is what we have in here a sample? Yeah, of course it is. It's a subset of the population. Is it representative? No. No, we have, including your instructor, three men in the room. Three, right? It's three. Wow. The sex ratio of the school is not 22 to 3. It's about 45-65, right? Which is typical in the university sector, which is too bad because more men should go to university, but that's a whole different discussion we can have. Any university can figure out how to get men to go to their school, they any of all the problems because suddenly all these guys go to school. No go to school. I don't know why that is. First person to figure that out will win all kinds of stuff. I'm serious. Our last that is a different thing. So we're not representative sample are we? Also, I said I'll go with you I said I'll go university students, so I can't be included there. I'm not a subset of that population. The Algoma University community? Okay. Then we are. Those kind of words people use. So we're a learning community. No, we're a university. I have certain views on things that really don't matter towards this course, but I like to spread them anyway. Um, so it's not a community. It's not a. We all get around and we join hands and say, "No, no, no, no." I have a job. You have a job. It's a job. Yeah. So we're much more. Um, Skewed towards women in here. Uh, hard to say. I think we're a little whiter than the population. Little of, of students here. We certainly have more expertise in psychology than the average student here. However, does it mean you're not a sample? A sample can be a non-representative sample. It's still a sample. You gotta keep that in mind. So. People get really worked up about representativeness, and that's fine. They should in certain cases. But if you were, someone said to you, what is a sample? If someone said to you, what is a sample on perhaps a quiz-type situation, you would just say a subset of the population. You'd say a representative one, because you don't have to be representative. Okay? And for some things in, say, psychology, which I think you guys are mostly interested in, it doesn't matter that you're representative. What? For basic cognitive processes? Doesn't matter about your X and Y chromosomes and your gender identity, and it also doesn't matter about your ethnicity and the language you speak or the religion you have or the religion you don't have. By the way, you speak, I mentioned that color of your skin. All our memories work the same. <coughs> our perceptual systems work the same. So it's not like, if you're doing memory work, you often hear this. People go, oh, I want a representative sample. Why? You want to really represent, you know, generalize to humans. You're all human enough to be subjects of an experiment. If I want to say how well the university students think, I better get a representative sample. Like, how they think about issues, what I mean, not how they actually think. It's how they think works the same as how somebody thinks in, I don't know, let's pick a country, South Sudan. I assume no one here is from South Sudan, because that would be weird. And surprising. <coughs> so samples, populations. And the thing is, we're trying to estimate populations. They're more interesting. Right? We would underestimate the population parameters if we had any. This is nice. Like, we know, in fact, by how much. There's really cool uh, proof of this. There's really cool math behind this that I'm not going to show you. And it's partially because I can't remember it. Uh, but it's partially because I don't think it would help you anyway. It's, it's of no real use. So these are the sample statistics, S squared and S. 
easy to calculate, and it makes you look smart if you can write down a formula like that, because people that don't know any arithmetic and math at all think you're really brilliant. Oh, you can use Greek letters? Oh, you must be smart. So capital Greek letter sigma gives us sum. So you sum them up. And then you have a square root. That's great. This, by the way, if you calculated this and you get a negative number, what does that tell you? You did, 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 did it wrong. Because <laughs> you can't get square a bunch of stuff in negative numbers. <laughs> well, you can, but it has to be using i, an imaginary number which is the square root of negative 1. They still teach that in school. But I was in a weird special school. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you know this, right? So actually, when we do the calculation, it's this. So now I just did put n minus 1 on the bottom. So we actually get 11.85, square root of 140.5. And you think to yourself, oh, square root of 140, 144 is going to be 12, it's going to be close to 12. Oh, good news. You got getting a feel for what happens with numbers when you play with them a little bit is a really important skill in life generally. You know, it's seriously, when you, when you get a bill somewhere and it tells you how much it was and it tells you how much the tax is, you should be able to look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense. You shouldn't be able to just go, oh, what kind of magic is this? <laughs> the kid are going to a store during a power failure and they can't make change. I'm going to do a max once. There was a power failure in our neighborhood. I went down to max. I thought, well, I don't know. I guess I'll go buy some... some um, buy a Coke and I'll just sit here and I'll mix it with rum and get hammered because there's nothing else to do. That's the powers out. This was a few years ago uh, before I had a special fridge dedicated to nothing but pop for drinking. Um, so I'm going down to the store and I, and I, I said, I'm sorry, I can't make change. I said, what do you mean? Could you open until? He said, oh, I can open. I can't do the... I said, it's the Coke, the big two-liter Coke. I said, it's $2.99. It's $2.00. I looked at him and I said, what's 13% of $2? He looks at me and I said, it's 26 cents. And this guy behind me, who's also trying to convince him to open up until, pulls out his phone and goes, he's right. I said, guys, it's 13 times 2. It's not that hard. I'm not a wizard. And he's like, white hair, maybe. But I'm not a wizard. So just getting a feel for numbers is an important, seriously, it's an important life skill. But it's really important in this kind of thing because we tend to trust computers way too much when they do calculations or calculators. So being able to look at something and go, yeah, that's fine. That's a good thing to be able to do. I used to ship things out on eBay when I lived in Newfoundland, sell things on eBay. And I'd ship them out and I'd package them myself and I'd take them to the post office and it's a little, we're living in a little town outside of a little town. So the guy in the post office knew me and he even gave me a bunch of customs forms. And I would walk up and I'd say, it's going to be 385. He goes, how do you always know that? I said, I have a scale. And I looked it up and I could add. It's really not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you also get to look like your magic if you know how to do arithmetic. It's just incredible to me. OK, for the population, we use Greek uh, lowercase letters, Greek small letters, sigma squared and sigma. I know it's confusing because it's also a sigma, it's a capital sigma. Notice how the, these are actually Greek letters too, by the way. Um, it's a chi, but let's take X. X minus mu squared. Mu is the population parameter for mean. And X minus mu squared, the square root of the whole quantity divided by n. This is all stuff you, you ran into, I know, but even if you don't feel bad if you have questions, that's what I'm here for. Please. So when we're doing all these, this is all just coming back to how to measure the spread. That's all it is. Right? All it is. Standard deviations. All we're doing. Yep. 
How are the variance and standard deviation affected by extreme scores? There's our two batches of numbers again, 159, 2035, the standard deviation is to 30, sorry, standard deviation is 11.85. Okay, or one batch of numbers. Let's put in a new number. How about 729? Why did I pick that? I don't know, but I did. I think it's 727 squared, actually. I don't know why, that, why I picked that, but I did. So 159, 2030, 729. We've now thrown in an extra number. And now the our new mean is 132, so the mean's affected by the adding a new extreme score. So then is the standard deviation. Our new variance is 85,555.067, and our standard deviation is 292.5. The means affected by the extreme score, first thing with the ellipse, and therefore so is the standard deviation. Look about look at how you calculate standard deviation, right? Remember it's the sum of x minus x bar squared over, let's not worry about standard deviation, let's just think about variance. Because they're the same one's just the square of the other. Means in there. The bigger number this thing is here. The bigger number you have in your on the top of your fraction. The bigger number you have in your numerator, the bigger the fraction. Just the way the world works. All right. Questions? You good so far? You still okay? Yeah, please. Uh, how do you uh, get the variance? Uh, oh, how do we get the variance there? Oh, I just added up. Well, I figured out what the mean was, which is 132.33, and I did 1 minus this squared plus that, 5 minus this squared, 20 minus this <laughs> squared, 30 minus this squared, this minus this squared. Added all those up and divided by, in this case, now 5, not 4. How did I do it? There's a button on top. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the same formula, except we've added one more number, so we divide by 5, and we've also got a new mean, so we had to put a new number in there for the office. Nothing too fancy. How can we use this to our advantage? Well, there's a, there's a quantity called coefficient of variation. Which is interesting because let's here's a actually a piece of data. Um, this is looking at people studying for a test or not studying for a test, and I believe the questions are physics questions. If I'm not mistaken when I think back to this. I think it's physics questions. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, but they're multiple choice questions. Two groups, a study group and a no study group. The study group gets 69.6. The standard deviation of 10.6. The no study group gets 46.6, and a standard deviation is 6.8. Okay. And those are actually real data from this cat. In fact, I believe this is mentioned in the book. I think that's where I got this example. You could look at this and make a very strange conclusion that would be supported by the data, by the way. There's more variation when one studies than when one does not study. Doesn't that seem weird? That's exceedingly counterintuitive, right? Isn't it? You would think there'd be less variation when one studies because you're going to more likely to know the right answer. So shouldn't there be less variation? Except that this shows that maybe there's more variation when you study. In fact, that's completely counterintuitive and probably against everything you've ever experienced in your life, but also probably against years and years of stuff in cognitive psychology. Well, we have something called the coefficient of variation, the CV. And what you do there is you take the standard deviation and divide by the mean. And when you do that, because the standard deviation is a function of the mean. The bigger the mean, the bigger the standard deviation. Right? Because, again, looking back at the formula, 
right? So the bigger the mean, the bigger the standard deviation. Why don't we standardize it? And now they're almost the same number. That actually tells us that this difference is simply due to the fact that the mean is bigger in the study group. That's, that's all, the only reason it happened. It's got nothing to do with the actual variation itself. It's got to do with the fact that you're calculating a quantity and it's dependent on this value here. It's dependent on that value. Questions so far? You might think to yourself, self, why is it that we're dividing by n minus 1? Dave gave me an explanation, which I find somewhat displeasing, which is, no, oh, it doesn't work if you do it by n. You don't you get a bias estimate. Well, we'll go into a little more detail. When you calculate variance, when you calculate variance, you're calculating variance based on a, a, a set of numbers, right? How many numbers are there? Generally, there are n numbers. Okay? Those numbers are free to move around as they wish. I know that's a very strange thing to think of. But the numbers are free to move around any way they want to. Yes, and they don't want things, I know. free, are they? They can move around. In fact, I can tell you about some numbers. I could say the mean is 10, and there are five of them. I can even tell you, and I'm not going to because I don't feel like doing that arithmetic in my head right now, what the standard deviation would be. can move around. Right? So, I don't know. Let's pick. Give me some numbers. Tell me a number. 25. 25. Here's our first number. What's our... Give me a second number. Two. Two's a good one. That's number Wang. You ever seen Mitchell and Webb? Nobody? Look that up. Look up number wing, Mitchell and Webb on YouTube, and it's very funny. Okay, or you'll find it really weird, you won't get it at all, but I don't care. I think it's funny, and I'm prof. Another number. Give me another number. Seven. Seven's a great one. I love seven. Here, have, one more. Give me another, please. Eight. Eight is also a good number. <coughs> we gotta get a mean of ten. Oh. <laughs> Now we can't just pick any number. Let's see, 27, 30, 27 and 15, that's 42, right? 42. So it's got to be 8, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got to be 8. Because that had to add up to 50. It had no choice. There was no freedom left. It suddenly become a repressive authoritarian regime of numbers. There was no freedom. A repressive authoritarian regime of numbers. It's the worst. That's the title of my autobiography. Uh, wow, that's weird. You know, you can do that a bazillion times. You always have the final one's always fixed. The final one's always going to be fixed. So when we say we know a mean, which we have to know to calculate standard deviation, we divide by how much the numbers can vary. It's called the degrees of freedom. It's the number of items you can assign arbitrarily. 
you have lost a degree of freedom. Which leads to the only vaguely funny statistics joke. And I say vaguely funny because it really isn't funny. These two unbiased estimators are talking in the bar. It's already weird. <laughs> and one looks at the other and says, How do you, what do you think of married life? And he says, it's okay as long as you don't mind losing a degree of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the statistics joke. It isn't funny. So it, one wonders if it's actually a joke. Though you all laugh, mostly sympathy laughs, I appreciate that. It's not my joke. It's told to me originally in graduate school by our stats prof, Dr. Spence, who influenced my view on statistics a lot, and um, he was from Scotland. The numbers don't know where they come from, Broadbeck. So he'd say to me, they don't know where they come from. You can do anything you want to them, and eventually they'll tell you what they want, what they want. He also he found out one day I did an impression of him. Um, we were, it was before we were studying uh, for our, our final, which is like a four-hour final, open book, but, you know. And I was I was in grad school, and uh, I'm up in front of the class doing an impression of him before he starts to he comes in to give us our final exam. He gives us our final exam and he leaves because it's open book. He you know he comes back. Back then I had uh, very long hair. It was a ponytail. And he comes back in, and he's gone to a, uh, a, a custodian's closet, and he's got a broom with like a white one, you know? And he's put it over his head. And he's somehow found a, a, a long overcoat, because I used to wear, it's 1988, he used to wear a long black overcoat and motorcycle boots with chains on them, and a beret. That was very stylish. He comes in, and he's got, he comes in like that, and he goes, hey, dudes, I can't see anything. <laughs> He was so cool, and I, I'll never forget him. So you, now and then you might even hear me a little Scottish brogue when I talk about this stuff, because I can't help but think of Ian Spence when I think of statistics. Uh, he, he's, he's really a great teacher, and he was hilarious. He also used to say, I'm the graduates. They're stupid. Like, he didn't say that. Yep. Sorry, just to move yeah. on before we move on from the slide, can you yeah. repeat what CVS stands for? CVs. Co- coalition, coalition, coefficient of variation. Uh, I should maybe, you don't actually have to put a philosophy, not really. Yeah, coefficient of variation, sorry. Yeah, Ian was great, he was a great teacher. This is really bugging me how that's aimed. Anyway. So you've lost a degree of freedom. Whenever you've estimated something, when you look at this, Quantity. When you calculate, you see yourself. I have to have estimated something. I have fixed a value. It's this. If you every time you look at a formula, see how many things are in there that you already had to calculate first. In this case, there's one of them. It's x bar. That means you've lost the degree of freedom. You start out with n degrees of freedom, but you lose one as soon as you estimate something. If we had a formula that estimated two quantities, which we will you lose two degrees of freedom. Okay? Other questions? So the coefficients of variation. You know, this again is not something you see in a paper. This is something you see when you do your own statistical, when you do your own sort of exploratory data analysis. It's for yourself. All right. A few key points. We want to learn about populations, not about samples. We, we learn about populations by studying samples, but no one really cares a great deal at the end of the day which, about your sample if it's done properly and you're using it properly. We estimate population parameters with sample statistics. We want unbiased estimators of parameters, and that's why we have, we have to take into account things like degrees of freedom. The very neat thing about this stuff is when you do an estimate of something, there's math behind that telling you why it's biased in one way or not and how it is. And if you're in graduate school and poor you, you have to actually do that, and we didn't. Ian thought it was ridiculous for us to do proofs, so we didn't do proofs. He showed them to us and said, if this means anything to you, that's great. 
You don't care if you understand that. I want you to have an intuitive feel for it. And he's right. I feel exactly the same way. So if there's somebody in here that's kind of a math nerd and really wants to see the proof, we can go to my office afterwards and I can pull off, pull out Experimental Design by Kirk, which is a great book, and you'll maybe end up using it in the Dragon School, and I can find a page with proof on it. Or you can just believe me, pretend you're Catholic, and I'm Pope Dave the First. <laughs> you been watching that new show, The Young Pope, with Jude Law as the Pope on HBO? Still not sure what to think of it. It's pretty weird. Is Jude Law really young? Wait, for a Pope. Okay, for a Pope. 42 is young for a Pope, or 52, whatever he's supposed to be. Middle aged Pope. <laughs> Middle aged Pope is a really shitty title, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I like Yeah. There's the old Pope. We already had that show. We've seen it quite a few times. It's a weird. I'm still not sure how much of it's a dream and how much it's reality. The opening sequence where he climbs out of a pile of babies, and I'm not making that up. It's just weird. And when it's weird for HBO, that's saying something. What's that? I read a bunch of tweets about that show. Yeah, yeah. I read a really. Oh, it's like just weird. It's just odd. You know how sometimes you watch things on TV and everybody likes them and you go, that's not good, it's just weird. Everybody thinks it's, says it's good because they don't want to be, think, people think that they, they misunderstand it. My view. As for our review of, the sh- of TV shows for today, Young Pope, catch it. Catch Young Pope fever. Um, <laughs> oh, that was funny. I know you don't find it funny at all, but it's, this is one of these things, I sometimes say things in class just so I can tell friends of mine I sent them. And that was one of them. All right. I've got to throw this in somewhere, so we're going to throw it in here on the last slide. Um, sometimes you can take a distribution, take a variable that is distributed some way, and we're going to call that variable in this case x, and you can do things to it. E means expected value, var means variance. What is the expected value of, well, it shows you right here, but let's, let's think about this. The variable x, what's the expected value of the variable x? Well, it's the mean. The most, we would expect to get the average. The long-term running average, the expected value, we would expect to get the average. If I gave you a four-choice, multiple-choice test, on a con- on a, in, a, in a language you can't speak, in an alphabet you don't understand, let's do that, perfect. How many do you expect to get right? Well, 25%. Some of you are going to get really lucky and get like a 60 Unlikely, but some of you will. Some of you are going to get really like, get unlucky, get really unlucky, get none right. But on average, you expect to get 25%. If I add k, a constant, to a variable, well, now I expect x bar plus k. So again, think about this. Think about now a class. Let's pretend that I'm teaching intro psych, which doesn't happen very often, let's pretend I did it. And let's pretend on the first test the average was 45%. That wouldn't be enough. I would be concerned. <coughs> I would have students ask me to curve the things, and they don't even know what that means. But let's pretend they do. Well, they actually don't, because they just want me to add a constant to all the scores. If I want to make it 45% and I want to make the average 60, what do I add to each score? Average 45, I want the average to be 60. What do I add to each score? 15, right? So if I just add 15 to every score, the average goes from 45 to 60. So the expected value of x plus k is x bar plus k. All I've done is I've taken the distribution, distribution scores, and I moved it over. What's the variance? What happens to the variance? Well, as you can see here, nothing. Because I haven't 
change the shape of the distribution. I've just moved it. I've just picked it up and put it somewhere else by adding a constant. So it's not going to change the shape. It's not going to change the spread outness, is it? You're just going to move it all over. What's the expected value of x times k? Why would you do that? This is how I actually do things to tests. If I do, but it's very rare when I do it, and it usually happens in something like intro. Well, I don't teach intro enough. I haven't taught it in a regular term since 2009. I've been told I'm a little intense. Um, I like teaching intro. It's just that I also don't like it. I like teaching things to people, and they know literally nothing. It's kind of great when people, because you don't know psychology when you come in, right? You, or when you think you do, you think it's Freud, and then you find out on day one that that's all bullshit, and then you go, oh, really? And it's all new. That's kind of exciting. The downside is you're teaching people in first year. So we have other people who are better at that than me, so they do that, and I get to play with numbers. I actually like it, but like I said, I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'm nearly as effective at it as I once was. True confession time. <laughs> when I want to move an average out, I don't like just adding a constant. Because what that does is it rewards people who did poorly more than it rewards people who did well, percentage-wise. If I had 10 to everybody's score and you got 5 out of 100, I just tripled your score. And if you got 90 out of 10, I've added 1 ninth, 11%. That's not, that's not fair to me. I instead like to multiply times a number. So I multiply all the scores times some number. It gives me the same average, but people on the high end, their, their marks go further up. Encourage people. Typically, again, I have, I've only ever had to do this in intro. It, it doesn't happen in any other level. Okay. If we multiply all the scores times a constant, the expected value is going to be the x bar of the mean times the constant. So if the average is 45 and I want to get to 60, I find out what, what times 45 equals 60, and I multiply all those numbers times that, and it gives me the right mean. Okay. That would be 12. Nine. Uh, I multiply times four thirds in that case, because that'll that'll move all the move forty five up to sixty. Okay. We're multiplying. We're changing the mean, and we're multiplying it. We're not just moving the whole thing over. We're moving it over, and we're getting one end bigger than the other. Because the higher scores get way bigger than the lower scores do. They get a bit bigger. I, I can't stand like this forever. Do you get the point that I'm trying to make? So that's going to change how spread out the numbers are. In that case, the variance, and remember, variance is a squared quantity. So the variance of x times k is s squared sub, k, s squared sub x times k squared. So s squared sub x times k squared. So if we want to multiply all the scores times, I don't know. Let's say our, our, our constant's going to be 5. Let's make it easy. So let's say our mean, in this case, let's say our mean is uh, 10. And our standard deviation is 5. Let me just make the math. Uh, okay. And k, our constant, we're going to multiply all the scores times 2. Let's do that. So if I put the expected value of x times k is going to be what? In this case, so x is 10, k is 2. 20. Yep. What's the variance? of x times k. 
standard deviation is 5, so the variance is 25. Where you have 25, yes, times 4 is 2 squared equals 100. Exactly. Exactly. So it spreads it out. It doesn't just move it, it also spreads it out. Why am I bringing this up? Well, actually, you sometimes do this to, I'd throw it in somewhere, sometimes you actually do this to numbers. There are occasions when, and we'll talk about this a few days after the first test, there are times when you do things like this to your numbers. You don't usually multiply times a simple, a simple constant, but you do something like that. Or you don't just, sometimes you do add a simple constant. And there are very good sound reasons to do this. This isn't cheating in any way or something weird like that. Yeah, 5 times 5 is 25. 2 times 2 is 4. 25 times 4 is 100. Can't see, but I can hear it pretty well. So the standard deviation, by the way, is just going to be S times K. It's like K. Yeah, S times K. So 5 times 2 is going to be 10. And you'd say, 5 times 2 is 10. You double check your work. 10 squared is 100. Excellent. I get it right. Does that make sense? I'm hoping these make sense. And the reason we do this sometimes is because the, vari the, 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 the um, variable, the distribution, isn't the right shape. And sometimes that happens. And we make certain assumptions about the statistical to do, to do certain statistical tests. And sometimes the variable has to be a certain shape or something to that effect. And it isn't, but we can fix it. Okay. You might think that doesn't sound fair. Well, we can measure your height in two different things, centimeters and inches and feet. We do that all the time. And they're just transformations of each other. Number of inches tall times 2.54 is number of centimeters. That's all you are. That's all it is. Right? Fair thing. You hear it on the radio whenever you hear radio stations here because we live on a on the border and you hear that the temperature is minus 2 Celsius or would that be in Fahrenheit? About 28 Fahrenheit. Right, so it's minus 2 Celsius or 28 Yankee imperialist running dog lackeys of the capitalist landowning class degrees. <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little North Korean there for you. And they're both perfectly valid. There's nothing wrong with Fahrenheit, actually. It's different. It's just, it's five, you multiply it times nine-fifths and subtract 32. Or add 32, sorry. Wow. That's a crazy transformation. It's still just a transformation. You've actually got a multiplication and added a constant. Does it make it any warmer over there when it's 28 and it's minus 2? No, it's the same thing. You just measure it with different scales. Okay. Or when you convert your money. Right? Which you do all the time. You go, go over to St. Mary, Michigan to buy something and you have to look and go, is that, is that actually worth it? And you actually have to do this. You have to multiply times a constant. And you actually have to add a constant because you have to add on how much it costs you to cross the bridge. You do it all the time. It's still money you spend. Right? So there's nothing magical about doing these things. You actually do them all the time. You just don't think of them as variables and distributions is all. All right, questions? You have a quiz on Thursday. And I think I'll stop there because um, I don't want to start the new date because why should I? Thanks,
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.